you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, we are going to look to the Scripture today about our Good Shepherd, Christ Jesus, who indeed, as we see in the Gospels, lays down His life for the sheep. Today we're going to be continuing uh, looking through Matthew, uh, picking back up where we left off a couple weeks ago. Last week we were blessed to hear from Pastor Nick Bateman, and I appreciate Nick coming and sharing and preaching. It was such a joy to be able to sit with my family and just listen to God's Word being preached, and uh, I hope you benefited from that as I did and as God's Spirit moved through Nick. And today we're going to be returning to Matthew 18 as Jesus shares about the parable of the lost sheep. I'm going to read for us verses 10 through 14 and then pray for our time in God's Word this Lord's Day. Beginning in verse 10, this is what God's Spirit says through Matthew as he recounts the words of our Lord Jesus. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let me pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, as we have recognized with our voices today, you are faithful You are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, you are all-loving, you are all-sufficient. Father, you are truly all we ever will and ever could need. And yet, we find in our hearts that, that we are not faithful. We find that just like this sheep in the parable that Jesus shares about in Matthew 18, that, that we are prone to wander. Lord, that we are prone to go astray. Lord, when our sin entices us, when our desires fill our hearts and minds, we we pursue them and so often in the process we walk away from You. And yet we see in this passage that those who are truly Yours can't walk away, that, that You go after us. And so I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would be going after us this morning as we look to Your Word that you would draw us to repentance and faith and conviction, Lord, that you would help us to understand what it is we read in this text. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we have been going through Matthew's Gospel and come to Matthew 18, you may remember a few weeks ago, Matthew 18 began with a question. Now, we know from the other Gospel accounts as we piece things together that the disciples were having a discussion on a journey and when they get to their destination, uh, Jesus then confronts them on what it is they're discussing. And so that prompts the question that we have in Matthew 18. The question from the disciples to Jesus uh, of who is the greatest, specifically in reference to the kingdom of heaven. There's that sense there, they want to know who, who's the most important, Jesus, who's, who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus responds to their question, not really directly, but indirectly, helping them to understand their pride and their need for humility. He begins to talk about 
little ones. He, he has a child who comes over to him and he says in order for anyone to come into the kingdom, they, they need to come like one of these little ones. It says specifically, they need to turn and become like children. So what are we as adults to do? Can, can we reverse the aging process? No. Uh, he is illustrating here the need for repentance and faith in our lives. We, we turn and we become. We repent and we have faith. And so from that point on in Matthew 18, when Jesus references little ones, He's not just talking about small children. He's talking about those who have placed their faith in Christ. And specifically, He is likely referencing those who have done that fairly recently. Perhaps young Christians or, or, or immature believers, people who are, who are new believers, People who have recently turned and become. And Jesus, as we go through Matthew 18, gives a very stern warning to anyone who would cause these little ones to sin. And we looked at that and how important it is that we don't lead one another, specifically young believers, into sin. Uh, then he warns us as believers about sin and temptations to sin and essentially says if there's something leading you towards sin, you need to, to rid yourself of it. And now he returns in verse 10 to this language of little ones, specifically in a warning that, that, that no one despised these little ones. Well, as we look to this passage today, I, I think there's many things we can draw from it. The, the first thing I want to bring to your attention, the first point is this, that, that we see in this text that God cares for us individually. God cares very uniquely, very specifically for each one of us. In fact, he, he points that out in verse 10. Uh, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Don't despise even one of them. He, he's pointing that out. He doesn't just say, oh, don't despise them at large, but specifically, don't, don't even despise one of them. Uh, he gives this parable. He doesn't talk about a, a bunch of the sheep wandering off. He says, if just one wanders off, you're going to go after it. Why? Because it, it is unique. It has purpose. It has a relationship to that shepherd. And we too, God cares for us individually, uniquely, every single one of us. The question then might come to mind is this. Jesus is giving a warning here about despising these little ones. Well, why that warning? I mean, He's already said, don't lead them to sin. And now specifically He's saying, see that no one despised them. And that might seem a little... Awkward for us today. Uh, this morning in our first service, we, we celebrated a baptism. Uh, Tanya Robbins was baptized, and when she was baptized, uh, people rejoiced. Uh, I didn't look out and see anyone scowling or, or despising this person's faith or proclamation of faith. Uh, so why does Jesus give this warning? Well, when we back up and look at the context of the world we live in, we understand it a little bit better. I have a good friend I've mentioned before, Mark. He's a, a missionary with the International Mission Board in West Africa, and I got a correspondence from him this week. And, and he was sharing about a baptism that he experienced very different than the baptisms we experience here. Our baptism this morning, we're indoors, everybody clapped, everybody was excited. And he talked about a young man who had recently been greatly persecuted in his faith, had been kicked out of his home, I had received threats from family members, has persevered in his faith, very different than what you and I might experience here in America. And, and that young man had gone on to share the gospel with a good friend of his, and, and Mark was with him when they went to talk to this young man who himself decided to follow Christ. And as they were going through the Scriptures with him, 
they got to a section of the scriptures on baptism and and he looked at them and he said well well what prevents me from from being baptized right now there's water not far away and mark kind of joked that that to the to the african not far away can mean many many miles and so they they walked for about 5 miles and they eventually got to this river well, there at the river, he sent me a picture of this baptism, and it was a, a glorious thing to see this one believer baptizing this other believer. But then he described what I didn't see in the picture. You see, there were people gathered there at the river to, to witness this, but not like you and I might expect. You know, when we gather for a baptism, we're, we're excited, we're, we're encouraged. Even, even those who aren't believers will come to see a family member baptized. Here it was a different experience. It was people from the community who weren't happy at all that this young man was making this decision. It's largely a Muslim culture that they live in. It's quite a dangerous culture where he's at for believers. And so he talked about the disdain that crowd had for this young man who was being baptized. And how the whole way home as they walked and they talked to this young man about his faith, as they would pass people on the streets, they would just look at him. And you could see in their eyes they despised that he had made this commitment to follow Christ. See, while we might not experience it in the same way here, we need to realize that, that there's a very real enemy at work today. And that enemy hates to see the kingdom grow. And Jesus is pointing out here that this warning, there's going to be people who despise these little ones, but with that, He's also talking about what great care He has for them. That in the midst of many in the world hating them, He loves them. He goes on to say, to make that point, that in heaven their angels always see the face of My Father who's in heaven. Now just a word of explanation here. This passage, I believe, has been misunderstood at times. I've encountered some who believe that they had specifically uh, their own angel who was assigned to them and with them at all times, a, a guardian angel, so to say. And, and this would be the passage they would go to that would say, well, look, Jesus says here, uh, their angels, He's talking about their guardian angels, but I don't, I don't think that's what this text is implying. One, we have the whole of Scripture to look to. And the whole of Scripture never implies that, that you and I each uniquely have an angel. It certainly does tell us much about angels, though. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says that angels are, are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. We know that there's a very real spiritual realm going on around us even as we sit this morning and, and there is angelic activity but that doesn't necessarily imply that, that, that these angels are, are our personal ones. And, and as we go down that road, sometimes we begin to find that we are idolizing, perhaps even worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. And I think that's the problem with that. The other part is just, it's a poor understanding of the text. As you get deeper into this text, you see that, that, that the connotation here more is that they are plural, these little ones, these believers, uh, angels are in front of the Father. In essence, he's saying these ministering spirits who, who help these little ones, who, who serve these believers, they have access to the Father. I believe what Jesus is pointing to here is, is the care that God has for all of His children. All those who by faith repent and place their faith in Christ, God has great care for them to the extent that He would even uh, orchestrate His angels to go and serve at the needs of His people. 
Perhaps in a way that none of us will ever fully see or understand until the other side of eternity. See, God has very specific, very unique care for each one of them, us. But when it comes to the issue of the individual relationship we have with God, I don't know that I need to dwell on that greatly because most of us, because of where we live and because of the mindset we have in this part of the world, we, we tend to think of things individually anyways. Uh, we're a very individualistic culture, and so when it comes to our relationship with the God, with God, I usually don't need to convince anyone of the individual component of that because that's usually how they describe it, meaning that when I talk to people about Christ... Normally they'll say much about them and God and very little about the church. It's, it's more this connotation of me, me and God, we're, we're okay. Uh, me and Christ, we're okay. Me and God, we've got everything squared away. I was recently doing a, uh, a visit in a nursing home and, and when I was there, I, I met someone I'd not met before. They were a friend or a family member of someone I was visiting and I began to invite them to church and they very quickly knew that that's probably what I was going to do. And they said, well, I just want to let you know, I don't go to church anywhere, but, but me and God, we're okay. Okay, that's good to know. You know. People feel like they have to say that. They have to say, oh, no, I'm fine. But, but here's the problem with that, is that as much care as God has for us individually, and the next point I put in your notes there, every individual is called to be part of the church. See, there, there is a significant problem when someone makes a statement like this i love christ it's christians i have a problem with me and god are okay but i don't want to have anything to do with the church there's a problem in that thinking one it's not biblically informed at all because what you find in the Scripture repeatedly is Christ died for the church. He gave His life for the church. The church is His bride. He calls us together. Not because we by nature get along so well. Not because this room full of people is who we're all perfect. <laughs> I mean, if the church was only for perfect people, get out. I'll go with you. We're not perfect. But, but Christ has called us together for a purpose. And I think that's part of what we see in this passage is Jesus begins to talk about a sheep and his shepherd. He, he says a man has a hundred sheep. And, and notice there, think about this. When, when you think about the biblical picture we see often of God as the shepherd, as Jesus as the good shepherd, what comes to your mind? What probably comes to your mind is the picture that you'll see hanging that's got Jesus and, and one little sheep he's holding. That's not a biblical picture of a shepherd. Both here and in Luke 15, when Jesus uses this parable, there's not just one sheep, there's a hundred sheep. And if you go to a part of the world where there are shepherd and sheep, they're going to have hundreds, if not thousands of sheep. If you see someone walking along and they've got one sheep, they're not really going to be referred to as a shepherd. They're going to be a person holding a sheep. Shepherds have lots of sheep that's what they do and so when we see this biblical picture of a shepherd we need to be careful that we don't just think of that in terms of well God's the shepherd and I'm the sheep and it's just me and him and we're okay notice 
what he says in this parable. The, the one sheep who's by themselves, they're not okay. They've gone astray. And that's why the shepherd's going after them. You see, the point of this parable is not that you need to go out on your own when you have an issue with the church. In fact, the point of this parable is that you don't need to be on your own and you need to come back. And that's why the shepherd here goes after the sheep. Sometimes we read this, we read Luke 15, we, we tend to frown upon the 99 and we tend to think, well, this is just about me and Jesus and yet this is about much more than me and Jesus. This is about Him bringing the sheep back to where they need to be. Luke 15, he uses a similar parable, teaches a different point. In Luke 15, Jesus is in a setting where there are religious teachers and they are, they are not approving of who Jesus is spending time with. He's with sinners. He's with lost people. They don't think He should be with them. And so He teaches them something. He talks about a shepherd and He talks about a sheep. He says, in that case, if a sheep is lost by the shepherd, he would go find it. They understand that. They would go if they were shepherds. He then talks about a woman who loses a coin, and he says she's going to turn that house upside down until she finds it. They understand that. That's what they would do. Then he tells the story about a son who is lost, who plunders and wastes his inheritance, who's there with the pigs and who comes home and who sometime, somehow expects even to be cared for by his father. And, and his father does much more than that. He, he kills the, the fatted calf. He gives this son his robe. Remember, there's somebody else in that story. There's an older brother and he doesn't like what's going on at all because he doesn't value the brother. And Jesus is saying to those religious teachers, you would go after a sheep, you would go after a coin, but you don't care about people. And you don't care about lost people. Jesus in Luke 15 shares about the shepherd and the sheep to say a shepherd cares for the sheep, a shepherd goes and looks for the sheep when the sheep are lost. He's making a similar point here, but a little different context because here he's not just talking about those who are lost, he's talking about those who are part of the flock, those that God cares for. Verse 10, see that nobody despises these little ones, the ones he cares for. In this case, the shepherd didn't lose the sheep, the sheep goes astray. The sheep wanders off. What does he say the shepherd does? The shepherd goes after the sheep. What is he saying we need to do? One, don't go astray. There's no celebration here of the sheep for going away. The celebration is when the sheep is brought back. And yet, in the Christian life today, so often we tend to somehow celebrate when we leave a church, when we leave a group of Christians. We're very prideful at times in that process. Well, they just didn't want to listen to God, and I know what God's saying, so I'm going to go do my own thing. That, that, those people over there, there's a bunch of hypocrites. I'm going to go over here, it's going to be me and Jesus, we're going to be fine. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say that those 99 sheep were so stubborn and foolish that one was better off on his own. No. He goes after it to bring it back. And friends, in the church we need to do the same thing because as much as God cares for us individually, as individuals we're called to be a part of this body. We're called to be a part of the church. And it's something that 
in recent decades we've miserably failed at. We view church membership as something to take care of what we want and we need and when we don't want it or need it or desire it anymore, then we'll just go do our own thing. That's not what a covenant of church membership is. Church membership is coming into the local body and saying, I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to me. Together we're going to seek to walk with the Lord. We're going to have issues. We're going to have problems. We're not always going to agree, but we're going to seek to handle these things biblically. And that's what the church should look like. And yet so often what it looks like is just these sheep going wherever they please. And, and they'll say so many things. They'll never really tell you why they leave. They'll usually have a response like, well, you know, I wasn't getting fed there. Well, maybe it's because your mouth was closed, you know. I just can't get anything out of that. Well, maybe that's on you also. We come up with all these reasons to make it look like that, that we're in the right and the church is in the wrong when the reality is oftentimes we're the one with issues or there's issues on both sides. But we need to biblically reconcile those things. And that's why as we go through Matthew 18, where we'll get next week is how do you biblically reconcile those things? Because the goal when someone goes astray is to bring them back. We have a lot of stray people in our church today. Every year we fill out a, a report to kind of see where we're at. And this last year we filled it out. We've got about 920 members of Bloomfield Baptist Church. And the first service is not that big. <laughs> okay. well, at least you think they all come when you don't. That's not the case. Uh, a good half to two-thirds of our people aren't really here. There are hundreds who we haven't seen in decades. And they're in one of two places. Uh, it could be that according to 1 John 2.19, they were never really part of the family to begin with. It could be that they went out from us, the Scripture says, so that it might become clear to us that they were never of us. Meaning that when they left, it was to make it clear that they weren't really redeemed in the first place. You see, if a person has no desire to be a part of the body of Christ, that's a good indication that that person is not part of the body of Christ. It's a good indication they were just here for a while, for a season, for some reason, and when that reason was gone, they weren't here anymore. Nothing really redemptive happened in their life. It's like the, the seed that may show initial signs of growth, but the thorns come out, they choke it out, they show that, that not true growth was there. There wasn't true fruit there. And that could be the case. But I think we've also likely got people as part of our membership here at Bloomfield Baptist Church today who aren't, according to 1 John 2.19, people who are never really saved. They're people like who we see this sheep in Matthew 18. They, they've wandered off. They've gone astray. And we need to go out there and we need to bring them back. And we're seeking to do that. And we've got all of our deacons looking through our membership right now. We as pastors are looking through our membership right now. We're calling people. We're contacting people. We're going after people. Why? Because you don't need to be out there as a sheep by yourself. It's a good place to get attacked by a wolf. It's a good place to fall off the mountain. We weren't designed to be out there by ourselves. We need to be in the church and we're seeking to reach them. But here's something real important we need to understand about that. When someone leaves, 
when they go astray, the picture here is the sheep leaves, they go get him, they bring him back in. There's a lot more complexity to this when you talk about people leaving the church. But it's not so complicated because again, Matthew 18, church discipline coming right behind this passage, Jesus walks through exactly what we're supposed to do with it. When a person leaves in sin, we discipline them. The goal of discipline is to bring them back in, not push them further away. And so when a person leaves over a sin issue, in order for them to come back in, we have to first deal with the sin issue. And so we can't just say, well, I'm upset and and here's this issue and whatever the issue is, and so I'll just leave and after enough time I'll come back. No, we've got to deal with the issues first. Now, if the issue was, I didn't like the color of the new carpet. You know, walk on it long enough, it'll change. I mean, that's, that's not a sin issue. When a person leaves because they're not willing to submit to the leadership of the church, that leadership's in sin, they need to repent. If they're not, that person needs to repent person leaves over biblical conflict with another church member and thinks, well, I'll just go to a different service than they do, it doesn't work that way. See, the church is not like the, or not intended to be like the awkward family reunion. Where as long as we keep Aunt Edna and Aunt Ida in two sides of the room, we're going to be okay. As long as we keep this one in the first service and this one in the next service, we're going to be okay talking to a pastor once, they were dealing with a very messy, messy issue in their church. And I asked how they were resolving it, and they said, well, we, we figured it out. We have three services, so as long as this family comes to the first service and this family comes to the third service, they'll never actually see each other, and that's how we've got it worked out. We've got a little map and everything. Really? I don't think it works real well. And I don't think that's what the Scripture calls us to. The Scripture says we've got to settle this stuff. We've got to settle it. And we've got to settle it biblically so that we can work together for unity in the church. We can walk along with the Good Shepherd. And as we do, one last reminder from the text, one word of encouragement, verse 14, is this, that we are eternally secure in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us, He warns us that no one despise these little ones. He talks about God's great care for them. talks about the shepherd and the sheep. And then He concludes this thought with this verse. It's not the will of my Father in heaven that, that one of these little ones should perish. Think of how different that is than the perspective of our world. And sadly, the worldly perspective of so many of our churches. We can write some losses off. No losses written off in the Scripture. The shepherd here loses one. 99, it's not bad. Kids come home with the 99, they get a frosty. 99 isn't bad. Tax time, I get to keep 99% of my income, I'd be really happy. And yet, the will of the Father is that not even one of these should perish. That shows both the great care that God has for His children, but it also shows something else. See, there's a reason that not even one's going to perish. Because we are secure 
in the hand of God. You see, if our security was based on ourselves, there would be quite a loss. If our security was based on our abilities, we wouldn't be very secure. But we are secure for eternity. Those who are in Christ will never perish. Why? Jesus says because God has given us to Him. He says that we are in His hand and that we are in the Father's hand and no one can snatch us out of His hand. He does not say if we kick and scream enough, He'll let us go. He doesn't say if we're stubborn and foolish and rebellious enough, He'll just give up on us. No, He says we are secure. Not doubly secure, triply secure, because if you read Ephesians 1, you see that in addition to us being in the Son's hand and the Father's hand, we are sealed then by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And in case you don't know what that is, we're not there yet. He's talking about the day when Christ returns and all things are made new and the body is resurrected and everything is there, it's a new heaven and a new earth, until that day we have a guarantee. And it is the Holy Spirit who seals us. Friends, if you have lived your Christian life thinking, I better make sure I confess everything because if I don't, I'm not saved anymore. If you've lived your Christian life thinking, man, I just I blew it and I think I lost Jesus and I gotta I gotta gotta go find him again. If you've lived your Christian life thinking that your salvation is dependent on you, then that's a biblically uninformed way of thinking because the scripture says this this whole act of salvation, it's much bigger than you and I. See if we could figure out how to save ourselves, there'd be no need for the cross. But on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. And when we repent, when we turn from that sin, when we do what He calls us to in Matthew 18, turn and become like a child, turn from our sin, place our faith in Jesus, when we do that, we receive something we can never earn or deserve. We receive His righteousness. And we are secure in Him. And we are in His hand. And we are in the Father's hand. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, there is nothing in heaven or hell that can break that loose. Nothing. The angels? Nope. Demons? Nope. Life? Death? Health? Sickness? Anything? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is vital that we understand this because in the context of this passage as we see God's great care for His people, his calling for His people to come together, we see there's, there's an assurance there. There's a security there. And it's not left up to us, it's left up to Him. And that's why, no matter where you go in the world today, whether it's here in Bloomfield, Kentucky this morning, or, or it's on the shores of a river in Aru, Niger, in West Africa, God's church is prevailing. God's Word is being proclaimed. God's Spirit is at work. And people are coming from, life, from death into life. And, and that's what the church is supposed to be about. There's a whole lot of things the church gets involved in that the church isn't supposed to be about. There's a whole lot of things that we get confused about. But friends, don't get confused about this. Understand this. This church, the church exists for the glory of Christ. 
And that's why we're here. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to be a part of that, if you've just kind of listened on the sidelines and, and never committed to this, if you viewed yourself as, well, it's okay for me and God to do our thing over here, I'm fine walking on the side of the mountain by myself, you need to turn around and realize there's a shepherd coming after you to bring you back into the flock. And if he's calling you here to Bloomfield Baptist Church, then I encourage you, join this church. Be a part of this body. And if not here, go find one. Go somewhere. Join it. Be a part of that body. But, but don't think you can just do this on your own anymore. And realize Jesus is a good shepherd and he cares for you. And if you are straying right now, just because you're sitting here doesn't mean you're not. <laughs> if you're pursuing sin right now and you're walking closer and closer and closer to it, repent and turn around. And you'll see the good shepherd is, is pursuing you. And if you've thought for a moment that this is all dependent on you, then repent and realize that it's not because of you and your will that none will perish. It's because of the Father and His will that He keeps us secure. And that is a glorious thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for these words specifically and as they point towards the beauty of the body, Lord, I realize that so many times we look at the church and it, it doesn't look beautiful at all. It, it looks divisive, it looks corrupt, it looks maligned, it looks like a place where people argue, it looks like a hypocritical place, and yet there, there's a different way to see it. Through the lens of Scripture, we see that it is your, your body, it's for redemptive purposes, we, we need one another, we need this body, and so Lord, I pray for any here who is straying or perhaps has strayed or consider straying, Lord, that you would help them to see that they need other believers. They need the accountability and encouragement and admonition and rebukes that come from other believers, Lord. We need the body. And Father, help us all to see that, that we're secure in you. We, we live in a day and age where it seems nothing's secure. We get a statement in the mail, our retirement account's not secure. We turn on the news... The security of different places in the world is, is not secure. So many things shout insecurity. And yet your word shouts security because our security is found in Christ and not in ourselves. And Help us to remember these things as we go out from this place today. Lord, I do pray as we transition into this time of invitation, if there's any here who you are calling and leading towards salvation, towards baptism, towards coming and being a member of this church body, Lord, I pray for them now that they would respond to that. Lord, if any needs prayer, I pray, Lord, that they would come as well. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.